tell you, that song moves me in ways that I can't even begin to describe to you how grateful I am for the cross and how grateful I am for what Christ did for us. And then as we take communion this morning and remember once again, folks, we have no idea just how much and how deeply we're loved by God. And if you're watching with us this morning, thank you for joining with us today. Would you please like and share right now? I know that you have friends that would enjoy this message and it would be helpful to them. This week I had a man call me, or excuse me, last week I had a man call me that a few weeks ago as we're all beginning to gather more and more back to church, they came in from out of town and uh, wanted special prayer. They watch with us online and join with us every Sunday. And right over here I prayed with him after the service and a group of others gathered around and we got in the car and I told Becky something that um, I never say unless I know that I know that I know. And I told Becky, I says, God healed that man this morning. And I just began to tell her what took place. Well, he called me, went back to their hometown, went to the doctor, and the doctor came back with a clean bill of health from liver disease and says, what happened? And he says, I didn't know anything else to tell him, but God healed me. I went to church and got prayed for. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. I've sat with some of our elderly members this morning, this week, taking communion to them and praying with them and uh, listening and say, tell me your stories of faith. Tell me, you know, what God did in your life and listen to veterans who fought in World War II. They're getting fewer and fewer now, you know that. And just listening to their stories of God's protection and God's provision. Friends, if you don't know it, God is alive and God is with us through all the ups and downs of life. Can we give him one more hand of praise? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, one of the things that I, I just heard from all of them as I was talking to them was, I said, how would you sum up? And those that I talked to this week, would always they named my sermon for me. said, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, do the right thing. <laughs> Now, that's an important statement because the Bible also says, if you will look with me this morning in James, the second chapter in verse 8, you will do the right thing if you obey the law of the kingdom, which is found in the scripture, say it with me, love your neighbor as yourself. You will do the right thing. Now, in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells us where to do the right thing. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the scripture tells us to do the right thing. And in Hebrews chapter 13, the apostle writes in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, he says, pray for us that we will do the right thing. Now, when I look at that verse of Scripture, and I realize that's left in the Bible for me as the Word of God, and there's the apostles praying they're asking for special prayer that they will do the right thing. If the apostles need it, I need it a whole lot more. Can you say amen? Now that you've said amen to me, can I tell you, if the apostle and your pastor needs it, you need it a whole lot more. There wasn't as many amens right there. Let me say that again. If the apostle needed it and I need it, you need prayer to do the right thing. And if you're listening, you need to type amen on that Facebook or YouTube page because we all need the help of God to do the right thing. 
You know, when I talk with people about the Lord, generally my conversations don't come out of an argument. As a matter of fact, if it ever descends into an argument, I just won't have it. I just say, so look, I'm not going to argue. But I have found that more doors have opened for me to share my faith with Buddhists, with Hindus, with Muslims, with people who don't agree with me that are atheists, just by doing the right thing, by living a life of integrity. Now, integrity doesn't mean that you're perfect. Integrity doesn't mean you always do the right thing. Integrity says that when you do the wrong thing, you admit you did the wrong thing, you repent and turn around and start doing the right thing. Does that make sense? You see, the, some of the greatest men in the Bible, like David, King David, we all know about King David's failures, but God said, you know, I know the man has got a lot of messed up areas in his life, but his heart is still after my heart. Because when David did the wrong thing, David confessed his sins and did the right thing. So integrity is not being perfect. Doing the right thing is, is what St. Augustine said. He says the beginning of good works is the confession of bad works. The beginning of good works is the confession of bad works. You see, the best advice that I can give you if you want to be a passionate follower of Christ that persuades people to follow Jesus is not try to argue the scriptures with them, not try to argue doctrine with them, but simply talk with them about Jesus Christ. Now, this week I had a man call me. He's not a Christian. As a matter of fact, he is uh, a fervent supporter of his religion. He called me. I was on West Road. He called me on my phone, and he says, would you pray for me? And so before I prayed for him, I said to him, I said, listen, you know that I'm a Christian, and you know that I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. If, if I pray for you, and he goes, yes. And so I prayed for him in the name of Jesus. Now, Here's what I hung up from the phone, and, and by the way, in case you're wondering, I did have on a headset, and I wasn't holding the phone or anything like that, uh, cause anybody an accident, and I kept my, you can pray with your eyes open, did you know that as well? And so I prayed, and as soon as we disconnected, I said, Jesus, I am begging you, answer the prayer for this man so that he sees the power of God. My private prayer is much more powerful than my public prayer. My public prayer is made powerful by the integrity of doing the right thing and in going to in the prayer closet and praying all by yourself. And that's why Jesus tells us and teaches us how to live such a a life of integrity. Well, number one, if I do the right thing, it will result in a blessed life. It will result in a blessed life. And I make no apologies. I want to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. I want our community to be blessed. I want to live in the blessings of God. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, you're blessed, look at this, when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You can see the work of God. You can see the power of God. You can sense and feel the manifest presence of God in your life. You can see the purpose of God begin to unfold in your life. You can, be, you can watch and see how God's purposes in your life, they come together in such a way as you live before the Lord. And you say, Pastor, why is this important? Because the book of Psalms says the people who dwell 
close to the Lord, they are the people with clean hands and a pure heart. That's the reason we sing that chorus sometimes here at Woodland, Woodland. Give me clean hands, give me pure heart, let me not lift my soul to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face forever because the people who see God not only live with the pardon of their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, but the people who see God are people with pure hearts, not perfect hearts. Remember what Augustine says, the beginning of good works is the confession of bad works. But the people who see God then will see the plan, the power, and the presence of God in their lives. And that's what our brother saw here in this altar. And I will tell you, in times past when we've had conversations, he's told me, I don't live a perfect life, but I want to be a man of the Lord. Can we give the Lord one more hand of praise for that this morning? The second thing that happens in our lives is when we do the right thing, we live a life of integrity, then we live a confident life. We live a confident life. You see, a confident life is not a cocky life. A confident life for the Christian is not self-confidence, but it's a Christ confidence. It comes in the fact that we know that what Christ did for us at Calvary has atoned for our sins. We can live free. We can live forgiven. But we're confident about our eternity, so we're willing to be bold. We're willing, if you'll let me use this phrase, we're willing to gamble on the big things of God. We don't gamble at the casino and throw away our hard-earned money. We don't gamble with scratching off little cards, hoping that the right numbers or the right ping-pong balls are going to show up at the end of the week. But we gamble on the big promises of God in our life because we know come hell, come high water, our eternity is secure in Christ. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently, circle that word in your outline, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. When you are confident, you don't worry about how people perceive you. You don't worry about your self-image the number one concern of your life is, is to pray what the apostles prayed in Hebrews. It's to pray what I ask you to pray from the book of James this morning, and that is, Lord, help us to do the right thing and to love one another as ourselves. When you're confident, let me just tell you this as well, and this is why it's so important to know the integrity of people you trust because we tend to trust confident people. We tend to trust confident people. And if somebody comes with us with an air of confidence, but the foundation of their life is built upon sand, if somebody comes to us with an air of confidence and they don't have the bona fides to back that up, if somebody comes to us with self-confidence and they're really a snake oil salesman, and then when their promises don't come to pass, we're shaken in our ability to trust others. That's the reason that small groups and a local church and doing life together are so important because we see who's really confident and who's not. 
Some of the folks that I prayed for who got sick during COVID, they were not confident about their eternity. And we had some conversations. Some of them recovered. Some of them went into heaven. But they went to heaven confident of this, that their sins were forgiven. Years ago, as a young preacher, I went through a period in my life where some people that I had trusted who appeared to be confident were really built upon foundations of shifting sand. And when they failed, it, it shook me and it shattered me because rather than confess what they had done, they tried to cover it up and make it worse for everybody else. When I went to pastor the little church in Macon that I've told you about before, when I got there, there were some things going on that I wasn't aware of and the board wasn't aware of because a confident person who was self-confident, had built his life on sinking sands. Well, pretty soon, problems began to show up, and then we found out a number of things that were difficult. We tackled the hard things. We confessed what had happened as a board and as a pastor to the congregation and to the community. It was a difficult time. We rebuilt a congregation. We rebuilt a church. The church that was bankrupt suddenly had a solid bank account, had a solid business, built a sanctuary and paid cash for that sanctuary. Brothers and sisters, it always pays to confess the wrong things and do the right thing because when you do the right thing, you invite the power, you invite the presence, you invite the peace of God into your life, and there's no devil and no hell that can stand against a man or a woman who is confident in their faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's always the right thing to do. One of the most, two of the most treasured letters I have in my files, and I don't keep a lot anymore, is one from the lending institution that our mortgage was with, and the other was from our banker, thanking us for the turnaround. And one of them said, for the make a miracle and for the leadership, don't be afraid to admit it when you failed. Because when you admit it, when you failed, you don't have to go around worrying about who will know. Everybody's know, and then you're going to find out who your real friends are. Hello? Then you're going to find out who your real friends are. Then you're going to find out those who are going to walk with you and stick beside you and stick up for you. A friend will stick up for you. You will find out who your friends are in a crisis because they will stick by you. The ways of right living people, listen to Proverbs chapter 4. The ways of right living people glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. But the road of wrongdoing gets darker and darker, and travelers can't see a thing, they fall flat on their faces. What's he saying there? I, I think it's real clear. People who do the right thing, your way will become brighter and brighter. Your life will glow. You won't have to argue doctrine. People will see the presence of Christ in your life. They will be attracted to that. But people who play religious games their lives will get darker and darker and darker and no one will be able to see and they'll fall flat. The third thing, when you do the right thing, is you leave a legacy. You leave a legacy. And I gotta be honest with you right now, my deep, deep ambition in this life right now is the young folk and being able to connect with them. I've been going back this week and looking over some of my sermons from my youth pastor days.
And I got to tell you something. There is no more fun in life than being a youth pastor. There is no greater calling in life than to be a youth pastor and to work with teenagers. As I've read through some of those messages, I find myself, you know, I probably wouldn't say it in quite the same way being a youth pastor in the 70s and the 80s. There are some things I would probably do differently, but the message has stayed the same through the years. And I ask myself one question as I scan through some of those messages. I even put one of them up on Facebook this week, a quote from one of those messages. And I ask myself, why wouldn't it? The method would change, but not the message would change. It's because when you build on the Word of God 50 years later, you don't have to hang your head for what you said or how you lived. It doesn't mean you lived a perfect life, but you did seek the will of God with all your heart. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? Now, here's the thing. Even during the rough times, and I would say that making that that turnaround in Macon, and then the disease, the, the infection that I came back with Asia a few years ago, those are the two roughest and most difficult times of my life. Two of the most challenging, soul-searching. One was physical and spiritual. One was spiritual and business-related all the way. But as I look back on those times, and it looked like in the natural it looked like the blessing of God had been lifted. There was no health. There was no money during that making. There was all kinds of struggles going on. And as I kind of reflected on that this week and went through my journals and, and, and just tried to reflect upon some of these things because <clears throat> I'm at a different stage in life now to talk about this than I was 20, 30 years ago. As I look back upon this, one of the things that dawned on me is Job went through a hard time where it looked like the blessings of God had been lifted on his life. Jesus Christ went through a difficult time where it looked like the blessings of God had been lifted from his life as he was beaten for our sins, as he was chastised for the punishment for our peace and sins, and then he died upon that cross forsaken by God. And as I'm going through my youth notes and my youth folders, there is a conversation that's not in my journal, but it will be, with a man when, in our church from when I was a youth pastor. His wife had an affair with somebody in the church. He owned several local businesses. And all of a sudden, the business economy just went south, and his businesses failed and began to bankrupt. He owned some land that he'd hoped to develop, and all of a sudden, the EPA came in to him and said, your land, it's, you can't build upon it because this is protected property. One night, they're in their home asleep, and the cars are in the garage, and his, he wakes up, and their home is on fire. It burns to the ground. It burns every vehicle around. It looks like a story right from the Bible about the book of Job. And I watched Robert as he go, went through those times. I watched Robert suffer. I watched Robert cry. I went out to the place where the house was burnt. His kids were in my youth ministry. I loved his boys. They were friends of mine. But I watched Robert stay faithful to God. I watched him tithe. I 
I watched him share his faith in Christ. I watched him not get bitter at his ex-wife. And I watched God rebuild his businesses, rebuild his home, give him a godly wife later, and see his children come to Christ. I'm telling you, Robert left a legacy for his children that they will never forget. Because when the going gets tough, the godly get up and keep going. Because when the bottom falls out, the power of God is still present to save, heal, and deliver this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. All that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land. The Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And today, when for years, for hundreds of years, people said the Jewish people would never go back to the promised land, they're in the promised land. And today, when it looked like Christ had been abandoned at Calvary, on the third day, he rose from the dead. And we are here in the church today. And today, Robert is a blessed and honored businessman in his community whose businesses are thriving and his children are living the, for the Lord. And today, there's a strong congregation in Macon, Georgia, and a healed pastor standing on this platform. There is a legacy of faith that we can leave to the generations because those babies in the nursery, those children in Timber, Ridge, those young folk with Pastor Corey and, and climbers this morning, those kids need to see the legacy of God in your life and my life. Somebody say amen this morning. Well, how do we do that? How do we grow in this? If you'll go to your growth work now, first of all, we got to be paying attention to reality. You just got to pay attention to reality. Boy, did I learn that in a hurry when I pastored that little church in Macon. You got to know the attention of keep attention on the details. You've got to pay attention to the little things. There's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that says you've got to pay attention to your flocks. You've got to pay attention to your crops. And suddenly there were things that I didn't know how to do. I was having to ask people around town, our district office, to help me with. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul tells young pastor Timothy, be careful about the way you live. You see, when the coronavirus, now listen, when the coronavirus came, I was one of those. I stood on this platform. I told you, I, I don't think we have to worry about it. You know, the, everybody was saying it wasn't going to be a big deal. If you go back to January and listen to, to a message I preached, I said, we just got to do the things our mama, I said, exactly what we got to do the things our mama taught us. And I went through those things. We really didn't think it was going to be a big deal. But to the surprise of everyone, suddenly the coronavirus touched the whole wide world. And what we thought was normal, all of a sudden, life is still not normal. The Wall Street Journal carried an article this week that says it will take about 20 years for the nations of the world, for their economies to recover from the effects of the coronavirus if we ever recover completely at all. Families have been changed. Lives have been changed. Fortunes have been changed. But what it has done to us, it has brought something to the world that we need. We needed the humility 
that the coronavirus brought to us. It has brought to us some of the most selfish reactions. It has brought to us the power of the media, but the power of social media. When people get their information from Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, and everybody's confused about the right thing to do. Doctors have told me it's difficult to treat some patients because they listen to Facebook more than they listen to us. If anything, the coronavirus has humbled us. We have to keep that humility where we come before the Lord and we learn how important it is that we trust one another and that our words be words that are built not upon shifting sand. When we're wrong, we admit we're wrong. We're not trying to manage our self-image. We're trying to build character. And that's what I mean by paying attention to reality. Admiral Jim Stockdale, who you know from the Vietnam stories, you must never confuse your faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. That's a powerful statement. Admiral Stockdale was saying that in the Hanoi Hilton, I never lost fact we were going to prevail but I had to face the realities. And if there are two things that I remember from Macon and I remember from Asia that helped me through the coronavirus as the pastor of this congregation is we are going to overcome. We are going to overcome. And whatever problems or issues that you're going through this week, you are going to overcome because greater is he that is within you than he that's in the world. And if you're not a Christian, then you can experience that for yourself because you can't fake that. You can't just act like it and manage a self-image. You've got to know that Jesus Christ is living in your heart and that you can take the big gambles on the promises of God because you know where eternity is for you. The second thing then is when you face reality, you've got to take courage. You've got to have courage. It's courage. Listen. Reality is doing the right thing. Facing reality is doing the right thing. Facing reality is integrity. Having courage is doing the right thing because there's a reason that the Bible says cowards will not be in the kingdom of heaven. There's a reason that the Bible warns us about cowardness. There's a reason that Paul wrote to Timothy and said to Timothy, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Say that with me. God has not given you a spirit of fear. One more time. God has not given you a spirit of fear. But instead, God has given you power and love and self-control. And when you know you have those things in abundance because of who lives in you, you can be courageous. In Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the stories we used to read to our children, and now they're going to be reading to their children the ship is lost in darkness, and there's all kinds of battles going around them, and Lucy begins to pray, and she says, Haslam, and Haslam is a figure of Christ in Lewis's Chronicles of Nardia. She says, Haslam, we're not going to make it unless you come and help us. Haslam, we're going to die unless you come and help us. Haslam, help us. And she's crying out to Aslan, and as she's praying, the skies get darker, the storm gets bigger. And what Lewis is helping children to see is that Sometimes when you pray, things get worse. Is there anybody in here that can say amen to that? 
Sometimes when you pray, things get worse. But all of a sudden, after Lucy had finished praying, and she was standing courageously on the deck of the John Treader, suddenly an albatross comes out of the clouds and circles the mast of the ship and lands upon the ship, and she hears the voice of Aslan, courage, child, courage, child, take courage. And this morning, I feel like God is saying to somebody here or somebody online, courage, child, courage, Kyle, take courage. I am still in control. And of course, the story is that God brought him on through the storm that morning. I want you to know if there's anything that Becky and I have discovered in life is that you can trust God to keep his word. Look at 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 7 with me this morning. But as for you, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. Read that with me out loud. But as for you, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. Say that one more time. As for you, your work will be rewarded. If you're what? And strong. Mm. And you're not going to be strong unless you stay in this book. You're not going to be powerful unless you stay in this book. You're not going to walk in humility unless you stay in this book. Because when the coronavirus is almost over, and if there is a normal like there used to be, then the temptations will come to manage image. The temptations will come to put yourself first and put God second. The temptation will come to act religious, but really you're serving God for what he can do for you rather than serving him because you love him. You see, if you don't stay in this book, you'll become so self-centered that if people don't do things the way you want them to do them, you're going to get angry about it. You know, I've discovered something about myself. My day never goes as well if I miss a day of having my personal quiet time with the Lord. Anybody else ever discovered that? And if for some reason it's those kind of weeks and occasionally those kind of weeks happen, towards the end of the week, Becky will look at me and she says, have you been praying? And I go, mm, it's been a busy week. But I could come to the pulpit that Sunday morning and you wouldn't know it. But about a month you would go, hmm, pastor's not been praying. Now, let me tell you something. The same thing is true of your life as well. There's something about staying in the book. There's something about staying in the Word of God and staying on your knees that brings strength and courage to you. The third thing I tell you, if you want to do the right thing, is be a tither. Be a tither. Inevitably, when I talk to somebody about their financial problems and I ask them, are you tithing? They tell me no. You pay your bills, you pay your taxes, you pay your mortgage, you pay your utility bills, you buy nice clothes for yourself, you buy good food for yourself, and God wants you to do those things. God wants you to live in a comfortable home. God wants to bless you with things. But God says, before you pay your bills, bring me your tithe. Your tithe belongs to God. The first 10% of what you earn belongs to God. This week I had a conversation with someone and, and they were asking me about some financial decisions and I said, are you tithing? 
go, no, I want to. And I said, then you're not prepared to make this decision. Because until you confess to God, you've been robbing from God. You've been stealing from God. The tithe belongs to God. I don't get a penny extra for this. That's not why I'm doing this. The church is doing ministry. I want you to be blessed financially. I want you to be blessed physically and spiritually. And there is a connection between that and the tithe. If you don't ask, believe there is a divine connection between connecting with God, ask the man and the doctor who just recently was healed in our service. Ask the people that are on their deathbeds that have confidence about eternity. We're not saved by our works. That's not what I'm suggesting. You're not earning anything. But the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, you people are robbing me. You're God. You're robbing me of the offerings and the 10% or the tithe that belongs to me. I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house, and then I'll open the windows of heaven and flood you with a blessing after blessing. Say that with me. Blessing after blessing. Say it again, please. Blessing after blessing. You want to live a life of integrity and do the right thing and to experience what Job experienced because Job was blessed seven times over. Experience what Abraham experienced. The people of God are in the land of Israel. Experience what Jesus experienced. You're in the church, washed in the blood this morning. Experience what Robert experienced. Keep God first. Put him first in your tithes and your offerings. Psalms 25, verse 12. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity, and their children will inherit the land. And the Lord is a friend to those who fears him. He teaches them his covenant. The best thing you can do for your family this morning is do the right thing. Face reality. Take courage. Be a tither. And then finally, Learn to affirm and treasure people. Learn to affirm and treasure people. You see, people are precious in God's sight. People are treasured in God's sight. People are valued in God's sight. God created you. You are created in his image. And whenever you speak ill of somebody, even if they're not a Christian, you're speaking ill of someone that God treasures and affirms, someone that Jesus died for. If you disagree with their politics and you slam them for disagreeing with, for, by cause you disagree with their politics, you're not treasuring and affirming them. If for some reason that, that they've hurt you and then you go around telling everybody how they've hurt you, you're, you're guilty of, of not treasuring and affirming those people. It's the reason Jesus said to forgive. To treasure and affirm people, we pray for them. Oh, we may disagree politically. There are a lot of people I disagree with, but I love them very much. We may disagree, and you may have hurt me, but I still love you, and I refuse to lift my hand against you because God loves you. I refuse to lift my voice against you because God loves you. It's what it means to treasure. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? I want to do that, but how do I do that? Learn their name. Learn what's important to them. Let your voice Always be trusted in their life. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. And even though she didn't recognize him, when he called her name, she knew who he was. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I really felt the Holy Spirit just drive this home to my heart to close this message with this scripture. Recently, a man that I've been building a relationship with in our community, and we've laughed about it, but he's told me what a great Christian he is. He's told me where he goes to church, and, you know, he's asked me to do some things with him, and, um, which I'd never committed to because when I prayed, I just didn't have a peace about it. Well, the other day, I was invited into a meeting, and when I walked in, he was telling a, an off-color story. Let's, let's just call it, it was a dirty story. And all of a sudden, people started shaking their head at him. And he just kept on, and so I just stood there. And when he finished, I came over and joined. Friends, red cloud at dawn wouldn't discover the embarrassment, wouldn't describe the embarrassment on his face. And I laughed, and I said to him, I said, did your pastor teach you to tell stories like that? <laughs> and he hung his head, and he said, no. He said, I'm sorry. I said, I forgive you. I said, but if you really want to be, and everybody's sitting there listening. I said, if you really want to be a witness for Christ like you told me, like these men know that you say you're a Christian and I say I'm a Christian. As far as I know, none of the rest of you are. I said, then let's live like Jesus. He's still my friend. He's still someone that I love and I cherish. You can disagree without trashing somebody. You can disagree and be a witness for Christ. Now, if he'd never said he was a Christian, I'd have never said anything. I'd have come on in and sat down while he was telling the story. But he told me he was a Christian. You see, when you're a Christ follower, Look at me now, listen, and those of you online, pay close attention. When you're a Christ follower, how you live affects all of us. When you're a Christ follower, how you talk affects all of us. When you're a Christ follower, and the world knows that you're a Christ follower, what you do affects all of us. And sir, when you're a Christ follower, your wife may never know about that affair, but it has affected her. I watched it shatter Robert's family. But I watched Robert not trash his ex-wife. Not one time did he ever say anything foul about her. Forgave her, moved on with his life, rebuilt another life. Robert, I'm telling you, he didn't have two nickels to rub together. And then one day he walked out in the parking lot, saw the tires on my car and felt like they needed replacing, so he called the local tires. Didn't have two nickels rubbed together. Called the local Firestone dealership in our town. He says, I want you to call 
Dennis Clanton gave him my number. He says, I want you to put a set of Michelin tires all the way around his car. I'll pay for it when I make some money. Because of his reputation, they knew it was as good as paid for. I got a call, and it was a long time before I knew who put four Michelin tires on my car. You can't outgive God. You may think you're smarter than God, but would you hear it from a pastor who loves you? You're not. You're not. You're just not that smart. Now, here's the deal. We're going to pray. I don't do all this perfectly. I just pray with one of the men in our church and our staff a few moments ago. I don't do all this perfectly. But I want to serve God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. Get it? You get it? You understand what I'm saying? The confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. So would you stand with me this morning? And would you just close your eyes and make an altar right where you're standing? And if you want to, you can slip down to this altar this morning and you can spend some time in prayer here before our second service, but you just kind of follow me in prayer right now. Say, Heavenly Father, we love you. Our goal has always been to be passionate followers of Christ. And thank you for the stories of Abraham's failures, of Job's failures. Thank you for the stories of David's failures, Lord. Because doing the right thing, according to your word, is not about being perfect. For only Jesus was perfect. But it's about being willing to say, I did the wrong thing. To you and to those we hurt. And then set out through the power and the love and the self-control you give us to do the right thing. Lord, I don't have that power. I don't have that love. I don't have that self-control without you. So would you help me, Lord, to always be willing to face reality and not cover my head up in a bed? Lord, would you help me to always be a courageous man of God? If you're a woman, a courageous woman of God. Lord, would you help me even when times are hard or when there's something I want, Lord, so badly that I'm willing to rob from you to get it, to do the right thing? And would you help me, Lord, to always treasure and affirm people? And no matter how juicy the gossip, no matter how good it might feel or taste to be a part of it, to get up and walk away from the table, rather than let somebody run down another person that you love to us. 
Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm talking to you particularly, and even in this building this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you that on the third day you rose again to give me new life and to forgive all of my sins. And I confess I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I give my life to you. Be my Lord. What you're saying is be my master. I submit to you. I want to serve you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. And if you did that, would you just let me know? Go online. Go to our, go to our website, woodland.church. And there's a card on our website where you can just fill it out and let me know that you've given your heart to Christ. I want to send you something tomorrow to help you get started with your faith in Christ. Now, before you go, one more time. The altars is open if you want to come pray. But now remember this story because this is how I want to send you home. Bad things are going to happen. Maybe not today, but if Jesus tarries in long enough, bad things are going to happen. My Uncle Ralph and my Papa were out fishing on the New River. New River's beautiful river in South Georgia. And the branches hang over the river, and lots of water moccasins down there. Water moccasin fell down into the boat. Papa pulled out his pistol from his tackle box and went to shooting holes all in the bottom of that boat to try to kill that snake. Uncle Ralph, who's a godly pastor, screaming, Daddy, 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 you're going to sink us. And every time, Papa missed the moccasin. And the boat began to sink. And snakes were dropping into the river because Papa was shooting hoots in the bottom of the boat. Now, Uncle Ralph could tell this story a whole lot better than I could, and Papa would just laugh. But he said to me, or he said to the whole family telling the story, he said, when I could get Papa to finally settle down, I could get us to the shore and save us. The boat was ruined, but we were safe. Don't worry about what you may lose when the snake drops in the boat. Just don't lose your integrity and panic. Stay focused on doing the right thing. Take courage. Amen? God bless you. I love you so much. Have a wonderful afternoon. And, you know, you still got time if you're watching online. Come be here at 1130. You'll enjoy the service. God bless. You're dismissed.